You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in. One and all, it's mid-July here, Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and joined, as always, by Matthew, my co-tweet buddy Betts. Dude. Yes, that is brand new um, as of this week. That was kind of fun, huh? Putting out a co-tweet, Betts and Borg, out there on socials. So if you're not following uh, us, you, you should be. But yeah, I, I'm not sure what to think about the co-tweets. I think people, they see the two you know avatars and they get thrown off right away. So that's at least adds some excitement to your Twitter experience. So what are your thoughts on the co-tweets, Kyle? You know, we're not trying to like farm engagement here. Like you and I aren't, but it was cool. I feel like it took our friendship to another level to be in that big of an agreement i mean there's certain people in your life that you need to be lockstep in like my wife my kids and then it's your co-host i mean other than that there's not many friendships and relationships in life that are that get closer nope that is 100 percent accurate right there you hit the nail on the head um and if you're not on twitter we put out in the tweet what we're referencing is our consensus priority best ball targets so get up on twitter check it out yep i've also dude i've i've been in the the twitter streets recently uh, in a couple different ways, and then I've also been posting here and there about my uh, my basketball team. I, I coach a basketball team. You can't bet on this team on any books because they're five and six year olds. But I need to give a quick <laughs> shout out, bets, because that's this is what I've been up to. I've been coach coach Kyle for a while, but the Blue Goo, that's our team. The Blue Goo just came out with a big win, um, and I'm riding high off of it. Are you out there with a like a clipboard and a whistle? Like, what are we talking here? Uh, I've thrown only one chair, but no okay, joke. <laughs> the coaches are allowed to be on the court at all times in terms of like directing players. It's mostly just, hey, that's your guy. Go guard him. And we run a real fast-paced offense. It's literally like we have the ball for six seconds, and we run it down the court. Very uh, Everybody else in the league is slow and methodical. Ours is just go for it, and uh, we just get a lot more possessions that way. Yeah, Dude, you're out there. You act like you're out there just helping the kids meanwhile someone comes down the lane you just swat it or put your foot out trip the other players i see what you're up to over there that's how you get your wins 
I mean, I boosted Houston's stats a couple of times, just letting him just take it to the hole. Uh, but but it is pretty fun. It's the dead of summer, so here in Arizona, it's like can't tell the kids to play outside. It's mostly just go, in, go inside, let's play some basketball. Um, it's been pretty fun. I think for you and I, best ball, we're, we're going to talk about best ball on this episode from a different angle. You know, we mostly been talking about player takes and strategy. We're going to talk this episode about how best ball and the summer of best ball, those of you that have listened to us, how you can leverage that into your redraft leagues, into dynasty leagues, into DFS. It's not like it's just a separate format. So, this summer of best ball, if you could sum it up for you, before a quick question, if you could sum it up for you in just a couple of words, what's it been like for you? Oh, man, there's so many words going through my head because at this point in life has been insane. So, so the, what comes to mind at the, the summer is just craziness, uh, general fatigue, and also excitement because I feel like when we roll through best ball season, you know, you get to like mid July, and that's when the calendar really feels like it turns to redraft season, and more importantly. DFS season so I guess that was a long way to way of saying I'm extremely tired but I'm also extremely excited about what's ahead I feel like it's been on this continual rise for people I know that we're in the midst of it we might even be in a Twitter bubble right now because the major surge for fantasy football is coming in August but even for our company man I feel like Jason's on a different level where I'm, I'm almost worried I'm worried for him <laughs> in terms of how much best ball he's been playing and how much he, I mean, it's a second job for him. Like I know that he does fantasy football for a living, but best ball is like what he does in his spare time too. I am so proud and, and so happy that that happened with it being more you know legalized in Arizona and uh, seeing Jason just jump in all the way is awesome. We also got the same experience with Andy last year in DFS taking down the Millie Maker um well not really he shared it with a ton of people but split the millie maker on showdown so good things happening with underdog and you know best ball and that sort of thing for us it's been super fun and you know you mentioned like it's on a continual rise like it is crazy when you go into the lobby on underdog their tournaments are filling up so fast like the puppy lasts what the superflex one we did an episode about a little strategy around it literally two days later it's full like it just it changes so much, and I think it speaks to the volume of people that are playing. So it's awesome, I and mean, it's great for our show. It's great for our listeners. You know That also, I think, gives us an edge because it brings in more casual people playing. So you'll get a little bit of a leg up if you've been doing your homework. And I think you know the homework, quote-unquote, that you've been doing this summer with these best ball drafts and the strategy, like you said, will roll right into August and September for us. For a quick question, I wanted to take what we've talked about all summer and then kind of reverse it. We're gonna. I want to ask you... Here, who are some players you're willing to be wrong on? In other words, you have some low exposure rates. So I went on underdog and kind of sifted through like, okay, here are the players I've barely drafted. Here's a player in my rankings that are lower. So who are a couple of different guys that we're not saying we hate the player, but we don't love the cost and what it would take for them to actually pay off? Yeah, we talked about this, I think, on the last episode. or No, last time we did the live draft. So it was two episodes ago about Josh Allen at his ADP and what he has to do to return value as his win rate. And historically, the quarterback won in best ball because of where they go in the second, third, or fourth round this year, the 2-3 turn for Allen. It's just not a good strategy. So I have almost zero Josh Allen in best ball. That sounds terrible and scary because we know what his ceiling is. That said, I still believe in the Bills' offense. But if you're telling me Josh Allen, I'm taking him in the second or third round, the guys you're passing on there, for me, it's a no-brainer. I'll pass on Josh Allen. You and I both have J.K. Dobbins on our list, and I've leaned into your medical advice, but also just the feel of 
what's been going on in training camp. There's not a lot of clarity. I don't actually need him where he's being drafted in a lot of rosters. So he's a player that I'm willing to be wrong on because I feel like I can find two or three other guys in that in that section. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's mostly medical in terms of you know how I project J.K. Dobbins this year. I think we'll get off to a pretty slow start. Uh, I took the under on his rushing prop for the season, factoring in some injury issues there. And, you know, you think about how you correlate your exposures, and we're going to talk about this today, but I've been very vocal. I am extremely bullish on Lamar Jackson, possibly setting a career high in rushing this year. If he does that, like J.K. Dobbins is probably not going to have the ceiling that he may have otherwise. And so, yeah, I think it makes sense if you're in on Lamar Jackson, um, J.K. Dobbins probably won't have the same ceiling, especially when it matters most in the fantasy playoffs. Another name you have on here is Travis Etienne. Is it because his ADP has risen so much? Because there was a point early on where I love getting Etienne as my RB2. I think there's upside in terms of his pass-catching ability. But it, is it just a concern of, okay, he's almost like a third-round pick now? Yeah, in a lot of the drafts that I do, he does go in round three. And I think you know, you're talking about only maybe a round or two difference, but... A couple months ago when he was going around five because people weren't really sure about the injury and what was going to happen, he's a great pick at that point, obviously, in hindsight, because you're getting what I refer to as like closing line value on some of these players. In other words, you're getting them now where their ADP was much later. And if you have exposure to ETN in round five, that's great. Like I wouldn't keep taking more of him personally now that he's up in round three. And I think that's just a little too rich for me. Um, there's a lot of wide receivers that I like in that range. And so as a result, I feel like I might have kind of missed the boat on ETN. And, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I'm not taking him in round three personally. And just hear me out. I had someone the other day, I was in a draft and uh, I, I drafted Mark Andrews, and in my article, I talked about, like, hey, he has to do a lot to pay off. Like, I still want exposure to almost every single player because I know that I'm going to be wrong on some a lot of these people. So, like, if you're in a draft with one of us or one of your friends, like, it's totally okay to take a player that you haven't always talked up, especially if you have the volume. So, at tight end, I just, I think Andrews is expensive. You and I have both talked a lot about some of the later tight ends that we're fine with three tight end builds, but... Kyle Pitts, we both have on our list. And then we both have players, TJ Hawkinson on mine, Dallas Scott on yours, that feel like they're the exact same player going in pretty much the exact same spot. So I think we're lockstep about Pitts. Uh, I've removed my Falcons fandom. I hope he's awesome. But really, I think he needs 100 receptions because uh, I don't think more than five touchdowns is, is really there. But I want to distinguish Hawkinson and Goddard because I think most people think them uh, them as the exact same player. Yeah, truthfully, I, I kind of do too. And I don't know about you, but in the drafts that I've done recently, Hawkinson specifically always goes after ADP. I think he's falling a little bit and, and maybe, you know, in a month he'll be a value. But as it stands right now, I'm with you in terms of these two tight ends, just kind of being in like that zone where it just feels like they're a consolation prize, right? Like you're like, okay, I missed out on Andrews. I missed out on Pitts. I missed out on Kittle or Waller. So yeah, I don't want to wait for Hunter Henry. I'll take Hawkinson or Goddard. But the reality is in terms of spike weeks, I don't see the same ability for these guys to separate from the later tight ends the way the early guys can. And so at that ADP, I'm usually taking an RB3. I'm taking a quarterback where these guys go. I'm taking my wide receiver four or five. So I just haven't taken a lot of them. And specifically with Goddard, I mean, I just, it's so tough to see him having a ceiling with AJ Brown there unless they, you know, drastically change their offensive philosophy. And so if you think Jalen Hurts is going to run the football, you would not expect Dallas Goddard to have a great season this year. And if you expect A.J. Brown to come in and be the target hog, again, where does it go for Dallas Goddard? He has to get there in the touchdown department. And I don't really want to bet on that 
uh, for that type of player. So for me, at those two guys, just not a lot of exposure this year. Yeah, you need fluky touchdown rates for both of them. I think you need seven or eight, and it's just hard to predict that with Jared Goff. And then, you know, how many passing touchdowns are we predicting for Jalen Hurts? 25, you know, something like that is kind of like a ceiling for me. So I want to finish with wide receivers because there are a ton of them, and I've almost drafted at least one wide receiver on every single team like that is in my exposure. Like I, I have players that I'm not huge on, like Elijah Moore. I haven't drafted him a ton, but I have a couple of teams, but he's pretty low in my exposure rates. I will say that if you do a search in my underdog for Amon Ross St. Brown, he will not show up. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you know you're wrong. You haven't taken one no, share of Amon Ross St. Brown. No. Okay. I mean, I respect how much you take a stand. I respect that. I think this take is egregious, to be honest with you. <laughs> Uh, and I would like to point you to the fantasyfootballers.com <laughs> to read why I am bullish on Amon Ra. And a lot of what I haven't even talked about is just how often these second-year wide receivers who have shown success beat their ADP specifically in the range where Amon Ra is going and where Elijah Moore is going. So I think it's probably smart to get some exposure. It's okay if you want to be you know, against me in, in that take. I, I respect that. But man, not one share. What if, what if he goes off? What if he is as good as we saw down the stretch? You're going to feel silly. I'll take the L on the Lions if, if that's possible. I do remember I, I am pretty bullish on DJ Chark. Uh, so if there's a reason why, if I've waited, um, you know, that's part of it. Also, if I take Swift, I'm probably not taking him on Raw on those same teams. Uh, I'll probably end up having a couple of shares of him, but I, I still think that he's steamed up enough where it's not a guarantee. If he, this was full PPR, I would be a little bit more open. I think that's the kind of player he needs to be. He needs to be 90 plus catches. A hundred yard, you know, and he did that last year. I think it'll be a little bit sure. different situation this year. Um, but yeah, we're you and I get to put out our exposures, everything. We just had a facelift, you and I, to the best ball primer, so you can actually see everything there in the Ultimate Draft Kit and the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus. If you want to be a part of that, I would highly recommend this part of July. If you've been drafting blindly, if you just think I want to flush my money down the toilet. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, but if you really want to take this to the next level, you and I are still putting out best ball content all the time. I just put out an article about running backs that actually will hit your flex, so I gave about six running backs that I think, if you draft them as your RB3, I think they will they could beat their ADP and be a valuable part, so make sure that you go to fantasyfootballers.com, and then, can I highlight one article, one more? Oh, please, please. Uh, you put out a player props article that you're going to add to throughout the rest of the offseason. So July, August, up into the beginning of the season. So you've looked at the markets. You've looked at the footballers' projections, which Andy, Mike, and Jason, that's a long process. And you've kind of taken a stance on some of these. So tell the people real quick, you mentioned the J.K. Dobbins one. Any other bets you feel really good about and just what you're going to be doing the rest of the summer? Yeah, it's been actually a really like eye-opening process. And that led me to a second article, which probably... By the time this podcast comes out, or maybe in a day or two after that, we'll be up on the site. I'm writing an article called 25 Things I Learned from the Fantasy Footballers Projections. And so I'm looking and seeing what is changing year to year. And I'm using these projections against the market to see where are we lower or higher on than consensus. One guy, that, and, and I love this bet as of now, is Mike Kosicki under 625.5 receiving yards. All of the ballers have 15 to 20 less receptions 
for Gasicki relative to what he did last year. And it makes a ton of sense, right? You look at the target competition he had last year. It's completely different compared to what it has this year because Tyreek Hill came over and low-key Cedric Wilson also came over into this offense. There was a report in The Athletic today actually talking about the tight end usage and how San Francisco's system values the blocking tight end, right? George Kittle is a monster in the blocking game. Mike Kosicki is not that. There is uh, rumors in that report that he might lose early down snaps to Durham Smythe, Kyle, Durham Smythe. And so if he loses early down snaps, if he's only in there, you know, on 50% of the snaps, can he get to his receiving prop competing with, you know, those two guys for targets and Jalen Waddell and uh, Tyreek Hill? I have my doubts. So give me the under there on Mike Kosicki and you'll find a bunch of other ones in the props article. Yeah, just to vent a little bit about Mike Kosicki. I know he's your boy, Penn State guy, super athletic. We respect that. Their offseason moves are so curious about franchising him, signing a slot wide receiver in Cedric Wilson, a big tall one, which is what Gasicki is. And then on top of that, you think about all their other personnel changes of what they've done, bringing in Tyreek. And then you mentioned Durham Smythe. We're not even talking about Hunter Long, a player that they spent a third round pick on this past year. Yeah, the system that they have in Miami, if we're trying to copy and paste what they did in San Francisco, it's just not going to work out for Gasicki in the same way that's going to pay off. And so in a format like this, it's half PPR, I don't think he's going to see the volume. You need an outlier touchdown season from him. And I think the better bet is to make on Tyreek or Jalen Waddle. So yes, I'm totally fine with that under. You're going to be continuing to add to those throughout the offseason. So check that out on the Fantasy Footballers website. But if you're here, you're here to talk best ball. Best Ball Bonanza. You and I have been talking best ball for a couple of months now, right? A couple of years, dude. A couple of years. A couple of years. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of things this summer, particularly. We did a live draft that was super fun this past week. And what I really want the people to do is to, is to stick it to you, Bets. Because I just posted a second ago just a, a, a little link on Twitter. Just, you know, just a little, little link for people to play best ball with me. And I specifically said, stick it to this man. Don't let him in the room. So I bet that'll fill out before you even get a chance. Do not even think about it. Do your job. I'm looking right now. Let's see. Let's see. I literally posted and, yep, it like 30. Is it really? Yep. I literally posted it 30 seconds before. I said, okay, perfect. Good. You have no shot. Um, we're good to go. Today, we're going to be talking about how do you leverage best ball and the best ball mindset into redraft and into DFS because best ball is its own format. It's its own world. And for for both of us, I think we look at players through the lens of how they can work in best ball. For instance, you and I love Mike Williams because I don't have to deal with the ups and downs, right? And you did some research about volatility. We had Matt DeSorbo on earlier this summer. I don't have to worry about the headaches of that. Now, if you go into redraft formats, if you go on sleeper, Mike Williams routinely is going in the fifth, sixth round, where in best ball, you and I are making that decision in the second, third round, right? That two, three turn is where Mike Williams is usually going. So how do we take the mindset of best ball and how does it actually affect us in these different areas? And the first thing that we're going to talk about, we'll talk about five different things for those taking notes at home, is this is a market for us to watch. Because people are putting their hard-earned money on this and mostly flushing it away because in best ball, there can only be one winner. But sharp drafters are the people that are drafting now. And in fact, a lot of people draft early, they wait, and then they jump back in in August because there's a lot of more casual people 
that are playing. And so you get to see the rise and fall of certain players and where their ADP was going. You remember when we were talking about Leonard Fournette and James Conner going in the fifth round in best ball? What a time to be alive. And Aaron Jones in round three. He's another guy, right? And now things have changed a lot. So, yeah, if you've seen these trends, if you've been drafting since May or June, and now obviously we're in mid-July, you're going to see so many guys rising and falling. And usually there's a lag in redraft ADP. And so, yeah, if sharp people are putting their hard-earned money and saying Mike Williams is probably valued in the third round of, of best ball leagues, like he's probably a great pick in round six uh, on sleeper or wherever you're drafting. So I think that's the best way to use the market right now. And obviously you don't have to take these players there in your home leagues or, you know, whatever, whatever draft, like you, you get to observe the market and say to yourself, is it worth it? Uh, Gabriel Davis, right? We just did a mock draft here on footballers. He went in the eighth round. Like you're lucky to get Gabriel Davis in the fourth round in a best ball draft, but there's no way you're going to have to take Gabe Davis in the fourth round. I can see it where Gabe Davis is going to be the the hot name, and he's going to be the one that, uh, you know, is going to be talked up. Like you're going to see him in printed out magazines and everything else that are already in the stores, maybe out of date. Uh, and in our UDK, we talk it up. Jason's a huge fan of Gabe Davis, but you get to see how the market functions, and there's just players like that that you get to see. So a lot of late round tight ends that we've talked up, Cole Komet, I think is going to be that player in redraft leagues that you know, kind of gets steamed up towards the very end. He's still going as tight end 14 in best ball. And he's a great uh, late round pick, especially in PPR leagues. But uh, it's a great thing. You get a market to hold on and really just look at and be able to, you know, observe. Like that that's a gift. And you only get to get that in the summer. So any last thoughts on best ball and best ball ADP? I think too, I mean, we're just talking about it in terms of, you know, how it relates to redraft. I think... We can also use the market to almost project early season DFS range of outcomes, right? Like there's a reason people are so excited about Mike Williams and Gabe Davis in best ball. And it's because we know they can give us those spike weeks. Well, if the market is telling us like these guys are now worthy of a third or a fourth round pick, don't you think early in the season, we might get a discount on their salary on DraftKings of, in relative to their upside of what maybe they could do. So I'm also thinking about that, you know, from a completely different lens as well. When we look early season DFS, now, that said, we know that we generally get overconfident in projecting players early in the season, which is why week one, week two, I love playing GPPs and fading cash a little bit and just embracing you know the variance. But I do think it's helpful to kind of understand you know, what is the consensus, where are we going with this thing, and, um, and really what's the range of outcomes because that's what it's all about. I think in terms of you and I talk a lot about forecasting, right? We talk about looking out at something really far away and starting your opinions and, and everything else. That's what we're doing for something that's right around the corner. And best ball gives us a little bit more information to work with. Uh, how much, I mean, think about it. How much of what we're going to do in August and September is based on the mistakes that you and I made in May and June? Like, we got to get a lot of mistakes out in terms of our drafts. Like, oh, what was I thinking? You know, there were drafts where I took a player way too early and his ADP slowly, like, declined. Um, so, yeah, we get to think that out. Uh, and I, I like this quote. Can I give you a quote before we get to break? This is a good quote. Oh, I love quotes. Go for it. The most contrarian thing of all is not to oppose the crowd, but to think for yourself. Gandhi didn't say that, but it made it sound like I was setting it up as like a proverb or something. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, where did that come from? <laughs> it's Peter Thiel. He's a great author on a number of different topics, um, the philosophy and other things. But 
I think a lot of times fantasy football, we want to be right and see something that no one else saw. But you're also in the midst of a giant market of so many different people. You know, that's the best part about best ball, right? We get like all these different people, not just fantasy football world or whatever other website, but all these different people combining themselves together. And you get to think for yourself and say, is that a good value or is that a bad value? So before we talk to our next point, let's thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! So point number two, best ball and your player takes and everything else gives you a chance to think about players and their ranges of outcome. In our projections in the Ultimate Draft Kit, we give a final data point that says this is the median outcome for whoever. Let's just throw out a random player. I don't know, Chris Olave. Um, Chris Olave, in our projections, is probably going to show up, You know, depending on your side. He's wide receiver 46 in underdog best ball, but somewhere in that range, 40 to 50, and that's the median outcome. But Betts, what do you think are the ranges of outcome for this player? Yeah, I mean, if you let's talk about the best case scenario, right? Michael Thomas is not the same. He either misses games, he just comes back and is, and is ineffective. He can't earn targets the way he used to with Drew Brees. Alvin Kamara gets suspended. Whatever that situation is, if things break right for Chris Olave, you know that wide receiver forty six uh, tag that you said will look silly. I mean, he could easily finishes the wide receiver 24 or something like that if things break right for him at the same time we've seen michael thomas just be awesome in in his, when he's healthy right if he comes back healthy who's to say he can't earn a 30 percent target share again and chris olavi finishes as like wide receiver 65 right those both are possible and so i think that's really difficult because you have to ask yourselves what are the ranges of outcomes here and i personally like to think about things in best ball we, we talk about this all the time more upside than anything you know if i get it wrong I get it wrong, and that's okay because we're not playing for like sixth place. We're playing, you know, for top three finish or, or top two if you're on these tournaments. So I think about that range of outcomes probably more optimistically than I probably should. That's just my personal philosophy, though. Yeah, and I'm obviously super bullish on the player himself. I just think I get to sit and think about that when I'm looking at a player. When you're looking at a build, right? In a, in a lot of best ball rosters, you're drafting eight, nine wide receivers. You're asking yourself, what could this player be for my roster? You know, you know, what's the ceiling outcome? I'm sad that you said wide receiver 24 because I actually think it's higher. Um, oh, I. Th- yeah. Now, you think no. so? What's and, the and, highest and, you think Chris Olave can finish? I think Chris Olave could finish as wide receiver 15. 
Not 14? Uh, okay. <laughs> Don't talk me into it. And, and that's simply because, you know, our, our recent rookie wide receivers have not helped us out when it comes to projections, right? Jamar Chase, I did not have in my range of outcomes wide receiver five last year. I may have said he could have finished as a wide receiver one, you know, in top 12. But that outcome for him and Burrow was not something that I thought could be there. And I drafted those two. I had a couple of teams where I have Chase, Higgins, and Burrow. I remember one team specifically in best ball. I look back, I was like, man, I ha- that team was awesome. It had McCaffrey. So it was dead. It was dead right away. But yep. did you have that in your in your range of outcomes for him? No, not at all. And I think anyone that thought that was possible is probably lying (laughs) same thing for cooper cup right no one thought that was going to happen last year and so it's really tough because when you look at these things we're looking at median projections to kind of give us an idea of what is most likely to happen maybe that happens 60 percent of the time or 70 percent of the time or whatever it is but in the 30 percent time that it doesn't how good can it be right i mean jamar chase is the perfect example people may have said yeah i think he can finish as the wide receiver 15 this year and and he went off and was a huge league winner and Things like that happen year to year. It's tough to like identify outliers. And so I find when people think that they can identify the outlier, maybe we should fade that narrative. But this is why you get a portfolio of players to get exposure to guys that have access to ceiling and make sure that you're not just putting all your eggs in one basket. And I think he's the perfect example of why. Yeah, and going back to Cooper Cup, I think most people would not say wide receiver one was his outcome. I wouldn't say people would say best wide receiver season of all time was his outcome. Um, you know, is that top 1%. And so when people are drafting him this year as the first wide receiver off the board, they're not exactly saying he's going to repeat. They're saying he has a very, very high chance to finish in the top five. And you just put out an article called Narrowing the Field to Find This Year's Cooper Cup. And I loved you going through that process because you looked at these players. Spoiler alert. A couple, one of them is just wild, but I liked it because it stayed with the thought process of what could this player do. Um, and that's just... That's just what you want to do with anyone. It gives you that opportunity that when you stare at tons of players that you know you're going to be wrong, you ask yourself. So uh, just a little peek behind the curtain. We had a conversation about something we could add next year to the Ultimate Draft Kit. One of those was just talking about what is a ceiling outcome for each player, specifically wide receivers, and kind of walking through our projections and then giving people the understanding of what volatility looks like and a ceiling outcome for that player, so at least you could say, hey, I'm drafting uh, Cortland Sutton. And Cortland Sutton right now is being drafted somewhere between wide receiver 15 to 18, somewhere around that range. What would you say his ceiling outcome could be this year if he's the number one for Russ, Jerry Judy's just meh, and he ends up getting double-digit touchdowns? I mean, look, he's in the article as narrowing the field to find this year's Cooper Cup, and he fits a lot of... It's crazy. A lot of the same categories that I use to identify, you know, could we have seen Cooper Cup's season coming? Not really. And that's why he was going so late in ADP. And he went in the same range as Sutton is now. So if things break right, he has an outlier touchdown season. You know, maybe he and Russ are eating breakfast together every day like Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. I mean, he could finish as the wide receiver five. I think that's definitely in the range of outcomes. I don't think he can set the records that Cooper Cup set because... No one probably can in a very long time. But yeah, if he finishes inside the top 10, that's definitely in the range of outcomes. I think that's definitely possible. All right, before we get to our third point, I just want to like stop here because I'm actually on the clock in that draft that I posted that you're not in. Oh, fine. Um, this is great. I'm so, so happy for you. So do you want to give me some advice? Uh, I heard Le'Veon Bell is coming back and he's a great target in round one. 
See, I I have him in my uh, MMA league, uh, my <laughs> dynasty league. He's, Who, he's who's there. on the, right, who's so, on the board? Who you got? So I'm the 108, and uh, right before me in the 107 was somebody I would have taken uh, from Aaron Larson, one of our writers. Uh, he took Dalvin Cook there. So ADP has basically been, you know, everybody's been taken. Right now on the board is Derrick Henry, Stephon Diggs, Najee Harris, Devontae Adams, Travis Kelsey, CeeDee Lamb. I don't love taking Henry. You know I've been much lower on Najee. So I'm at this point where I usually end up taking either Diggs or Devontae here. I do too. And I think if you look at our consensus rankings, it would be Steph Diggs. Okay. Thank you, because I should probably consult those. <laughs> you should. They're they're in the UDK. They're a great product. <laughs> All right, going on to our third point. Best ball doesn't just help us think about players, the market, range of outcome, but also helps us think about how a player's performance affects their teammates. And we think about this a lot in DFS, right? If this player's going off and this other player is highly rostered on the team, that gives us a point of leverage. But how would you communicate this bets in terms of player performance and how it affects their teammates? Yeah, I think there's two schools of thought here. And really, like what I want to tailor this conversation to is probably more large field tournaments. If you're playing Best Ball Mania, you're playing the puppy, you're on DraftKings, whatever it is, think about how different players reach a ceiling outcome. And one example I'll point to is the Colts, right? So Jonathan Taylor is obviously a top two pick in every draft because the ceiling is massive. We saw it last year. But think about how that team is going to succeed if he is worthy of that pick. If Jonathan Taylor has a top two season as he's going in ADP, then in theory, Matt Ryan and the wide receivers probably are not going to have as good of a season. And so what I'm saying is I'm taking Jonathan Taylor to be a top two running back. That means Matt Ryan and Pity City probably won't return value on their ADP in these tournaments. And specifically what I'm looking at is weeks 15 to 17. Show me the money. This is where it is an underdog. Nothing else matters. This is where all of the money is. And so you're looking at your teams and you're saying, if this player hits a ceiling performance for three straight weeks, what happens to his teammates? If Jonathan Taylor goes off in the fantasy playoffs, Matt Ryan is not going to help you win money. And so I'm not stacking Matt Ryan with Jonathan Taylor in best ball mania. There's no reason to do that. You should be thinking about how these teams and players will correlate with one another. And I just want to put a specific example on it because I think it highlights it perfectly. Last season, Jonathan Taylor had eight weeks of 20-plus fantasy points. He was unreal. In those games, Carson Wentz, his quarterback last year, topped 20 points just twice. And so they were negatively correlated most weeks. And specifically in the playoffs, there were weeks where they were just ping-ponging back and forth. Jonathan Taylor was the RB2 in Week 15. Carson Wentz, quarterback 28. RB23 in Week 16. Carson Wentz had a better week quarterback 11 and then again they flip-flop with rb 14 and 24 and so just be thoughtful think about how these players reach a ceiling and make sure you're not putting those two pieces together when the puzzle doesn't fit so to speak another example that i think a lot is when we look at situations where there's two or three wide receivers on a team and we're not quite sure who's the guy like kansas city comes to mind green bay it's like okay who's the one and you're like i have conviction it's lazard i have conviction it's juju but you're leaving open the possibility it could be Sky Moore, Christian Watson, whoever. There's also the possibility that when you have three wide receivers, let's take the Bengals guys, uh, you know, Chase, Higgins, Boyd. There's probably a good 15 to 20% chance that at some point one of those three wide receivers goes down for, you know, a couple of games, maybe extended time. And how does that affect other people? So you're, you're thinking about that in redraft, but you're also building that in in terms of the range of outcomes for players. Like clearly Tyler Boyd, 
is a player that we would say, wow, he doesn't have a really high ceiling. He's, you know, he's kind of just the third option in that team. There are games where Tyler Boyd will eat. In the same way, we saw this in the Super Bowl. Who was the one in the Super Bowl for that team? Who, who was I the mean, one? Who, <laughs> it was T. Higgins. They, I mean, yeah, T. Higgins had a great game, but Jamar Chase just missed on a couple of deep bombs. But yes, T. Higgins was awesome. I was, dude, I was trying to lay it up for you because in our DFS show, we were over the moon about T. Higgins. We were. We were. Absolutely were. But honestly, all I can remember is Evan McPherson field goal props. <laughs> that's all I could think back to. <laughs> I'm glad that that's what the people think is that I pounded the table for kicking props and they kept hitting. But my point is more saying when you look at players and you look at their outcomes, it's really easy to put them in certain points and say, Jamar Chase is being drafted fifth overall. He's the wide receiver one for the Bengals. When there are games where T. Higgins is just going to be the dude. And we love to leverage that in DFS. I think that's just one of the things we get to keep thinking about. And best ball allows us to think in terms of contingencies. If I draft this player here and he doesn't hit, here's what's going to happen. So if Cooper Cup, I'm going to give you a contingency. Let's say Cooper Cup ends up as the wide receiver 10, okay, on the year. He plays the full season, but he only catches like eight or nine touchdowns. He's still a good player. He's just not hitting that ceiling outcome. What does that open up for Allen Robinson and some of these other players? Yeah, I mean, if Cooper Cup has a, it's all relative, right? A quote-unquote down year. It's so crazy to think what he did last year. If he if he's a bum and only comes away with nine touchdowns, like bum. there's there's paths to Allen Robinson beating ADP, and maybe a couple of those touchdowns go to Van Jefferson or Tyler Higby or or however you want to spin it. But yeah, I think you should be thinking about that. And one strategy I've loved, you know, employing in these best ball drafts when I'm trying to build stacks, especially if there's a wide receiver one going super, super early. So Justin Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, if something happens to them, whether it's injury, we don't see a suspension coming, whatever it is, and they're not on the field, then both of the wide receivers going after them, the wide receiver two and the wide receiver three in ADP will get a massive, massive boost. And you're not speaking to injury in this a specific example but the same theory applies if that player doesn't produce the guys behind him on the depth chart in theory are and so if you're playing tournaments it's a great way to get leverage just because you don't have jamar chase doesn't mean you can't stack joe burrow with t higgins and tyler boyd and i also want to throw out there's usually a third scenario we don't always discuss when it comes to ranges of outcomes we talked about how players function and their player performance with the team there's another outcome where it's not just if this person goes down this person you know has an awesome, like, there's also a chance that just the offense is meh. I think a lot of times we think Jonathan Taylor goes down, Naeem Hines is going to be awesome. Like, what if the whole offense just doesn't function as well? What if in a receiving core there's just bad wide receivers across the board and it doesn't work out? Like, there's a possibility this year in Green Bay that nobody can be a separator. Like, you've seen offenses like that where, you know, Allen Robinson's never been a big separator. And there's been times on the field where the Bears just got shut down in the past. This maybe before Mooney could really do his thing last year, but where it was just like, nobody's going to get open. That was the Falcons last year. The Falcons were, okay, Kyle Pitts is going to be the guy. And there's also a scenario where just he gets double covered. Zacchaeus isn't going to get open. Your boy Tajay Sharp isn't the player he used to be. It, so I want to give people... What did, what did he used to be? <laughs> he, he was... Was he ever okay. Was he ever good? No, but I did do a deep dynasty dive recently. Uh, alliteration aside, it was wild that he was like a fourth, fifth round pick that year as a rookie, and he was like the second round. People loved Tajay Sharp that year. Oh, 
Yep, we we get things wrong quite a bit. That's the take home there. <laughs> All right, let's do two more points here about why why it really matters when we're talking about best ball and how it how it affects. And this is a point we're about to turn the page for DFS, but it's about understanding correlation. We've talked about week seventeen on this podcast and on the main podcast that if you're playing in a massive tournament, like we talk about best ball media and underdog, then correlating your players and their matchups matter. Now it's to the point where I look at a player. If I look at San Francisco players, because I'm drafting Trey Lance everywhere, I'm thinking, how can I get Las Vegas players? And I'm just going to be honest, it's really hard to get Las Vegas players in your team. If you don't have Devontae, you don't have Darren Waller, and that person's going to be stacking Derek Carr, and you don't get Hunter Renfro or Jacobs, it's like, who is the other Raiders player? My point is, you start to think that way because there's an outcome available for those teams and for those matchups in Week 17 that matter. And these are the principles we really care about in DFS. These are the principles that I think people don't quite take advantage of. And not just are they in the same game, but in terms of like correlating which players on a team go off the best. Yeah, and that's really taking this thing to the next level because it's so easy to look at the Week 17 schedule and say, oh, okay, I just need, like you said, I just need one Niner and one um, Raider and I'm good to go. Well, maybe not. Like if you have Josh Jacobs and Elijah Mitchell, like those two running backs historically of course anything can happen in one game but historically we wouldn't say josh jacobs or they haven't used him that way in in the receiving game if he's not a receiving back and elijah mitchell on a run first team is not going to catch a ton of passes there's a really good chance those two players can't correlate the way we want them to for their ceiling and actually i I put in in our show doc here a chart from hayden winks from underdog he put out an article recently looking at this concept and he looked at like the ceiling weeks of of you know when it matters for the playoffs and really, it's not surprising, but the strongest correlations were between you know a, a team's wide receiver one or two and the opposing wide receiver one or two. And so, yeah, you're looking for games that can shoot out. You're looking for those high-scoring environments. And so I really want to be mindful of that when I'm trying to find these Week 17 stacks. We have some content on the website where we talk about some of this correlation. You can see the full chart, too, and we'll display some of that. But that'll be a concept once we get into August to do a deep dive because we've talked about it more on a season-long perspective, right? Like, I brought up how last year Diggs finished, you know, wide receiver seven, eight, whatever it was. Allen was the quarterback one, but they actually technically had negative correlation over the course of the season. Now, there was a couple of games that was beneficial, but we care about in DFS one game at a time, and what do they tend to do? Uh, so, you know, if it's running back, running back in the same game, whatever it is, we want to care about how those players work and how they function and how the other players on the other side can actually be good bringbacks. So correlation is something that you could you go on forever, kind of like looking at like who correlates with who and what you could do and what if this person goes off. We want to look at the simple principles that you can look at. We have data from 2015 from DraftKings on that we'll definitely get to share once we get in August. I'm actually back on the clock. Can I can I get one more one more thought? <laughs> the, the amount of FOMO right now is is not healthy. I'm I'm concerned for myself. Okay, so I accomplished my goal. Yes. What I love is that I I did a slow draft and we're like blazing through the second round. Like these people don't want to mess around. No uh, one's working today. Let's be honest. I I really wonder. You know, I question if you and I are actually working in terms of what we do. If people ask, what do you do? Well. Draft best ball teams. And and I'll just say this. We have a lot of fun. Bets and I work hard. I think everybody around here works hard, but also sets ourselves up to not take ourselves too seriously. We're like, we're, we're curmudgeons, but the people that are 
that are into DFS and they're into best ball and they are on the Discord channel, dude, they love to draft. Like, I'm kind of worried about them. It is. It's pretty impressive, dude. Like, I'll hop in there and there's people asking questions about, you know, here's my roster. Who should I pick next? I'm on the clock sort of thing. And it's nonstop. So it's super fun to have that community going. And yes, I think that as a result of that Discord community, um, the productivity at everyone's work is probably going down. So sorry, not sorry. Uh, I already took CD Lamb. I'm sorry. I love it. I, I, so you yeah, started start- wide receiver, wide receiver. All right. I like that. Yeah. And the reason why I just picked is because your point that you gave is kind of my final point about why best ball in the summer really brings things over. I think it's one of the better community builders that you can get because yes, everybody wants to be on Twitter. Everyone wants to have their own podcast. Like jumping in a best ball with people doesn't just make you sharper in terms of learning ADP, learning tendencies, but it's just plain fun. Like there's so much that I can do with my friends, you know, back in Atlanta that I can say, Hey, you want to get in a best ball draft together and you can do them whatever pace you want. I found that for our company as a whole, it's kind of bonded people together and we've done it a number of times, but I dude, the, the people on discord love it, love it. Like I wake up every single morning and whenever I check discord, I always go, that thing's been popping and I haven't even been in there for hours. Yeah, I need to hop in there more actually because I, I need to ask some questions and help answer questions and things like that. It's been great. But you're right, man. It's it's a super fun community. I mean, even on social media too, like people are posting their screenshots of their rosters and you know saying, here's what I tried to do with week 17 or, or what do you think about this team? That sort of stuff. Um, it's super fun. We love it. I threw out a question the other day and I wanted to just get your final thoughts on this before we end the episode. But you know, we, you and I are supposed to like come here and sound like really like we know what we're talking about. We do spend a lot of time. I still am forming thoughts sometimes where I'm wondering if my roster construction is a little off. And I found that those people in Discord get to sharpen me so much. So I threw out the simple idea of if I have an elite rushing quarterback, if I have Lamar, if I have Kyler, Jalen Hurts, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, like those are the five that I think of as like probably not super high volume passers, but they have the rushing upside to finish in the top five of the position. Do I just need to skinny stack those people? Because I went back and looked at Lamar, who you and I love and are super bullish on, and I want parts of that offense. But it's so hard to get that Ravens offense. So I asked this question. The Discord user said, if you had someone like Lamar, and let's say you don't have Rashad Bateman or Mark Andrews, do you feel like you have to like find a double stack, or is it just like you're totally fine stacking them with one other player? I found that if you go back with Lamar, his wide receiver twos have been Willie Sneed. You know, like he had two weeks as like a top 24 receiver. Seth Roberts one year, not good. And Bateman last year had like two or three usable weeks for best ball. So that was something that I threw out there and I only could feel better about my process from bouncing it off of a bunch of different people. On Twitter, I can get those thoughts, but in Discord, it was a super long discussion. So I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's, it's a very selective group of people that can can do what you're talking about, which is the rushing quarterbacks that are just next level. And I think Lamar Jackson, truthfully, I mean, we'll see about Trey Lance, but I think truthfully, he might be in a tier of his own. Yes. And so I honestly, agree. like if I take him in a tournament and I don't get Andrews or Bateman, like sure, you can take a shot on Tylen Wallace or Devin DuVernay or James Prochet in round 18 if you really want to. But like, what if in those three weeks, if you get to the playoffs, what if he just goes absolutely bananas for three weeks in a row rushing the football? 
and he doesn't bring anyone with him. I mean, that is definitely in the range of outcomes. So I think that even though the vast majority of data shows you should stack your quarterbacks, there are a couple that you either skinny stack, I agree, or truthfully, if it doesn't make sense, maybe just don't even force it. Yeah, I, I so I it was doing a deep dive on Devin Duvernay, another alliteration there. Oh, but, dude, you're killing it today with the alliteration. I try, I try. It, it's it's looking at players like that and saying, what are they going to do to pay off? And I only found that from just like, I don't know the answer to this. I just, I, I have some conviction on this. But yeah, I think Lamar can be a difference maker. And let's say you do get to the playoffs with Lamar without Andrews and Bateman. Like, you're going to have a different roster than some other people who are like, I'm stacking this team. And who's to say that one of those players doesn't get hurt or another player doesn't go off? Like, let's say you're the Lamar person with George Kittle. Like, that's going to be a unique team because most people are probably going to have Lamar and Mark Andrews. So, you got to think about it from a couple different perspectives, game theory, whatnot. Jump in the Discord. If you want to be a part of that, feel free to message Betts and I on Twitter. Betts is at the Fantasy PT. I am at Kyle underscore Borg. But, Betts, why don't you sign us off right now? I would love to. This was fun, man. A little bit of a different show, kind of just getting our thoughts out there about correlation and that sort of thing. You can really take your best ball teams to the next level. Get ready for redraft. Get ready for DFS right around the corner. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.